Um, we're in a series at the moment, looking through the book of Acts and uh, uh, that Luke wrote. So we came through Luke and into the first few chapters of Acts. And we've been in the first two chapters uh, of Acts the last three weeks, uh, where we read about the arrival of the Holy Spirit on planet Earth and uh, how he comes to uh, those first disciples. And they go out onto the streets uh, declaring the wonders of God to people from all nations, some 15 different languages. So it's some 15 different languages being spoken around um, and people hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own languages. Uh, amazing situation. And Peter stands up in the chaos of it all and uh, he, he starts to preach his first full-length sermon. He's not really trained in it, but 3,000 people come to faith. Uh, it's an amazing day. Um, and then these 3,000 people uh, decided... Uh, not to stick on the left-hand side of the devotional scale, uh, not even in the middle. They wanted to be fully devoted, which we looked at last week, fully devoted to the apostles' teaching and to Jesus, to put him number one in their lives from day one of them coming to faith um, and follow all of that. And so we see these lost people getting found and uh, fully devoted followers of Jesus. We find found people growing up in their faith um, as they obey uh, what God leads them into in all of that. We find lonely people being enfolded into the supernatural community. And it's really summed up in this verse where it says everyone kept feeling a sense of awe of what God was doing uh, amongst them in Acts 2 verse 43. And as we go into Acts chapter 3, we're asking the question, what does the Holy Spirit do next? What does he do next from all of this? So I just want to read from uh, um, Acts chapter 3, just the first 10 verses uh, of here. So one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said look at us. So the man gave his full attention to them expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly this man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and praising, sorry, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened uh, to him. Now here's a guy that we're told uh, in the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 22, that he's over 40 years old. And he's been lame since birth. He has never taken a step in his life. And he's a beggar. He's, he finds a spot to beg from every day because there's no welfare system. There's no support for him. In fact, he has to have a few friends to carry him to his place where he begs, the begging spot that he's probably claimed uh, over the years. Um, in fact, they've not even got there yet. They're still carrying him. And he starts a little bit early and starts calling out for money. Um, and uh, Peter and John are in the vicinity. And then he is spectacularly and completely healed of his lameness. And he is jumping for joy like a kid, taking his first steps, utterly amazing uh, situation. Now, no doubt, every single one of us has a question of some sort about healing and the mystery of healing. I don't think you can go through life without having questions about it. So, you know, why is this person healed? And why is that person not? 
Why, when I prayed for this, I was spectacularly healed, and yet when I prayed for this, uh, I wasn't? How come this guy who sat there for 40 years outside the temple wasn't healed when Jesus was there? He was there quite often. But now he's healed when Peter and John turn up on the scene. Why is it that Paul saw some amazing miracles and people healed spectacularly, and yet his good friend Epaphroditus gets very, very ill? In fact, he nearly dies, uh, we're told, in that situation. We get into all sorts of theological gymnastics in our heads when it comes to this mystery of healing, and we don't have answers to many of those questions. But there are some things that we definitely do know. The first is that the Bible teaches that one day every single one of us will be totally healed. We will get a completely new physical resurrected body um, that lasts forever. It's a souped up model that goes on forever, whatever ailments you've had uh, in this life. Um, And that is an absolute certainty that we're given in, in the Scriptures. We also know that God has built into our bodies an incredible uh, self-healing process. Okay, our, our medical biological bodies have an incredible ability to get injured and heal itself, to get ill and it restore itself. Very often it takes us a few days of serious rest as our body focuses all of its energies to make us well um, and we, we eventually get through that. And it's not an easy time, but it is there and it is an incredible system that we have. We live in a world where there are amazing medics and surgeons and doctors. Today, with technologies you could hardly imagine, with pharmacological advances you know, in drugs and, and therapies and all the rest of it, that means that many years ago, random illnesses would have killed us, and actually we take a pill or we get a jab, and seven days later we're back at work just like that. A phenomenal uh, opportunity uh, with all of that. We have a time when people who have lost limbs can run at para-Olympic speeds with a prosthetic aid. And so we celebrate all of that. We are thankful to God for all of that and for everybody that is involved in all of that. And if you are someone who serves in the medical profession in any capacity, take it from me. We are all incredibly thankful that you are there and for all that you do. Now, for all of us, probably many of us will know of of either a serious affliction in our own life or in somebody that we love that is close to us. And for some people, there is non-stop pain with that. There is debilitating conditions with that. For some people here, you're facing a medical complexity that is overwhelming, perhaps, or seems uh, hopeless uh, a situation for you. Right, here's what we would say uh, to that situation. And f- number one is to pray. To pray that God would directly and dramatically touch and heal your life. Because it is so easy to get stuck in the theological complexities and gymnastics of it all, of will God, won't God, that actually we never do anything. But actually we're called to pray, to bring it to God. Very simply, as Paul puts it in Philippians 4 verse 6, he says, present your requests to God. Simply present your requests to God. God is 
is, is not too, there's nothing too big for God's love. There's nothing too small for his, uh, so there's nothing too small for his love and there's nothing too big for his power that we cannot bring it um, to our God. And so we pray, dear God, will you reach down and will you touch this person? Will you supernaturally restore this person to health as soon as is possible? And we pray those prayers. And as we continue to pray, and something doesn't improve, and uh, you know, we, we become aware that this is, this is serious, um, we don't give up on prayer, but we would then say, get great medical advice. You know, put yourselves under the skills of the medics, because God also chooses to heal people through the skilled hands of others and the, the things, the opportunities we have uh, in our culture today. Sometimes, though, after months and years of prayer, or months and years of being under some skilled uh, your physician, uh, things still get steadily worse. And uh, it comes to that point where we are, we're moving towards the end of life. Uh, or perhaps we're stuck with a, a limitation or some suffering in our lives. But we still hang on to the hope that we have uh, in God's word, that right on the other side, there's paradise. Okay? There is a place where we, there will be no suffering, there will be no pain, there will be no tears uh, and we will enjoy that resurrection body for all eternity. That is what the Bible teaches. So my refrain is, is prayer, paracetamol, and paradise. Okay? Prayer, take it to God in prayer. Okay? Paracetamol is fine. If it's more serious, take your penicillin or see a physician. But also, ultimately, we have paradise at the end of it all because things are very complex uh, in life. All are valid. But back here in Acts chapter 3, we have the lame beggar who walks. And what we see here is the first miracle through the church, the first kind of supernaturally um, stepping into someone's life that, that through, comes through the, the early church. And there's things that we can learn from this. The first is that the church's mission begins with the individual. Uh, as Sue shared uh, just now, you know, in the supermarket, is, is one person's life. Um, I can remember um, in, in Balsall Heath, when we were first in Balsall Heath, you know, I had a great vision to, to speak to loads of people from the community, from, from different faith backgrounds. But it started with one person. I remember meeting a guy, it was a, a brother of a guy called Ijaz, and he, he was in a desperate situation. His brother was dying of leukemia. He'd come over from Pakistan to, to the mosque. He was living in the mosque there um, to get some treatment over here. And, uh, and so I went to, to talk to this guy and to pray with him. I didn't have a lot of language. We used to share photos of our wedding and just anything in common to try and make some links. And I would pray for this guy. And we would, we'd, you know, I got him a Bible in his own language. And uh, he'd stare at me when I prayed for him. It was really weird. And uh, he didn't quite know what I was doing, but I kind of explained to him. Um, and, you know, sadly, he, he went on and died. But he did phone me just before he died and said that the times we'd met together had really helped him to face death. And I don't know what that means and I don't know all the rest of it. But it started with an individual. And uh, later on I got the opportunity to speak to 70 guys um, in, a, in an elderly uh, care um, day center place and to share my faith with them. But God may give you the crowd but it always starts with the individual and it did here. Um, and so in your front lines, you know, in your places of work, in your neighborhoods, who is the one? Who is the one where we start and we begin to pray for and we begin to look for opportunity with that individual. It may be an unexpected person, as Sue has shared. The church's mission starts with the individual. The church's gift is healing and wholeness. And that is everything from spiritual healing, of, of salvation, coming to know God uh, for ourselves, uh, emotional healing from fear, uh, from anger, from hurts, 
from unforgiveness in people's lives, um, and prayer for physical healing. Um, what is the need of the person? And sometimes the need can be quite unexpected. You don't always, um, yeah, it can surprise you. So the week before last, our car broke down, sadly. Okay, the, the gearbox gave up the ghost somewhere near Hull, which was not helpful. And um, so we, you know, we got the breakdown guys out and all the rest of it. Long story short, um, so one of the breakdown drivers, well, I'm, I'm driving back with him and I'm in the, the front seat trying to chat to this guy. He, he wasn't very chatty, okay, to be fair. Um, but anyway, I discover that he's into heavy metal as we go past Donington Park and the, the Download Festival. Um, and I also discover he's got a passion for breakdown recovery vehicles, um, which I don't share, I have to say. It's not my speciality on conversation topics. But nevertheless, I keep the conversation going somehow. And the next thing I know, he's asking me if I know where he could buy five newer breakdown vehicle models. Right? And I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm a resourceful chap, but this is stretching it. Now, afterwards, I'm reflecting on this, thinking, I don't know where I could have taken that God. Where could I ever have taken that? And I realized, very simply, you know, I wish I could go back now and say, I'd love to pray for five incredible breakdown trucks to come your way in the next few days. And surely he would then start to think, maybe there's something in this. Maybe there's something in this. Anyway, I sadly didn't, but um, that was what I thought. Because I thought, I want to think about what could I have done better the next time in those kind of situations. And uh, many people have got unmet needs in their lives. And they, they may be surprising, but actually we know many of them uh, are more predictable because many people's lives are hurting. You know, many people are outwardly okay, but inwardly they're struggling. You know, as Sue discovered this week, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Are you really okay? Well, well, no. There's this big thing going on. And it's obvious with the down and outs, isn't it? But it's not as obvious with the up and outs. The people who are doing well in life, seemingly fine on the outside, but actually things are falling apart inside. You know, they're, they're extended financially. Um, they don't know how to handle their children. Um, you know, their relationships are falling apart. Their workplace is not working out for them, a job. You know, they've lost self-esteem. Um, they, they feel guilty. They feel depressed. And they don't know where to turn to. And the gift the church has is, is healing uh, into their lives, uh, often through prayer, whether that's spiritual healing or emotional or physical or even practical breakdown trucks. Who knows? The church's method is people and here it's Peter and John. Right, these are quite different characters. You know, Peter's the, the doer in life. He's always blundering into things as you read through the Gospels. John's the dreamer and, uh, and then the thinker and all of that. John 21, they, they kind of irritate one another. They're sort of like, well, they're talking to Jesus. And Jesus said, well, he's going to do this and you're going to do that. And he said, well, what about him? He says, that's none of your business. And they're sort of irritating one another. But here, they've started to work together. They're working as a team. They're complementing one another. And they're stepping into a situation with faith. They step into the situation. God does something. And then off the back of that, they go on to explain uh, about this Jesus. And we get Peter's second sermon that he's not really been trained for uh, in this chapter. And most of the chapter is actually what Peter shares with the crowds um, that gathers. And in all of our lives, if we're, if we're Christians, if we, you know, God has got involved in our lives, every one of us has got a story of transformation. Every one of us has changed in some way. God has done something. And the way we live will provoke questions from others. And Peter will later on go on to write, that, that when we're asked those questions, every one of us needs to be ready and we need to be prepared to give an answer 
to everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that we have. And so we then live out those, those uh, transformed lives. We live out um, lives that evoke questions because we live differently, because we are fully devoted in the whole of our lives. We're putting Jesus number one in everything that we do. And someone experiences healing, then that will provoke questions. Uh, no doubt, people will want to know how, who, where, what was it like, what happened. But also, it is often as powerful, sometimes even more powerful, when someone is not healed, and yet they continue a life of faith, because that also evokes questions. Just last week, we, um, we had a thanksgiving for the, the wonderful little Joshua Horton, uh, Russell and Mary's first child over at Bourneville. And, uh, the, you know, they were just sharing that, you know, at 20 weeks they had a scan and uh, there was something looks wrong on the brain. And then thankfully that, that, that kind of disappeared. Um, and yet, yet Joshua has been born Down syndrome. He's got Down syndrome. Um, but what was beautiful was Russ and Mary's simple testimony to their joyous acceptance uh, of that and, uh, and, and the, just the joy and the love that they have for little Joshua. And they had 40 friends and family and colleagues come to that Thanksgiving. Many of them never set foot inside a church in their lives. But their simple testimony is as powerful and evokes as many questions as whether something dramatic and miraculous had happened there. God is involved in their lives. And then we get the opportunity to explain the what and the why and speak of Jesus. And so the lame beggar in Acts chapter 3, who's famously known as the man who asked for arms and got legs, Boom, boom. But it may well be that, that what God wants to give you is greater than what you're asking for. You know, he was just asking for money, but he, he, got, his, he got his walking back. Okay? Likewise, maybe we ask for things, and we, but God wants to do even more than that. Or it may be the people around us that, that we think that's their need, but actually God wants to do something far more than just meet that physical need or that practical need. He actually, as we may know, wants to bring something of spiritual life and hope uh, to them in all of that. So the church's mission is to the individual, starts with the individual. Our gift is, is healing and wholeness. Uh, the church's method is through people. And fourthly, the church's authority, verse 6, is Jesus himself. And verse 12 goes on. Why do you stare at us, they say, as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk. It's got nothing to do with our power. It's got nothing to do with our godliness. No, it's about Jesus. It's Jesus' name. And they are very quick to point out it's got nothing to do with them. Very quick. And they don't want to take any credit for this at all. And therefore, we need to have that living relationship with Jesus. You know, otherwise, we can never impart something of the touch of heaven, uh, whatever God wants to do into there. But as we do live in him, you know, we write, and John writes this, doesn't he? That if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit. Okay, we will bear fruit because it is all about that vital relationship with Jesus. Verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name, the faith that comes through him, that has completely healed him. And so we develop that simple yet vital relationship with our God. Um, I love uh, what Bill Kane says, and it was a video we showed last year of, uh, of this guy. He was the warden of Louisiana State Penitentiary, which was a, a notorious prison that was, in an, was one of the most violent in the U.S., and he was asked to take it on, and, he, and he, he does. He's a Christian guy, and he, he turned it around. In fact, there's now they run a, um, a theological college out of the prison. It's unbelievable. 
But he humbly and very simply says this. He just said, I, I got to do that little devotional every morning. Because if you do that little devotion every morning, you're just putting gas in the car. And you're keeping it going because it gets you where you can hear God. It's not that just all of a sudden he says, do this or do that so much. He just makes you think it. And then you realize, I couldn't have thought of that because it would have been such an awesome thought. And that thought you're having is because you're close to him and you're praying for guidance. And however it looks, whatever it looks like in our lives, and it will look different for different ones of us, we have to have some way of keeping that vital relationship with Jesus uh, alive because it's his authority that we live by. And fifthly, the church's message is the risen Jesus. Verse 15, uh, it says, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. They've, they've witnessed this. And the Greek word for author is, is not the kind of author we tend to think of. It's rather a person who originated or founded a movement and continues as the leader of that. So you can imagine a, a, a kind of leader of a long line, right? And that person's leading from the front, going ahead, and there's a long line of people following, pioneering others to follow. And that, so our message is that he is the way. Jesus really is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Um, he's the one that offers the fullness of life. He's the risen leader. He's the risen Jesus. He's the one that leads us into that fullness of life. He died to make it possible, gave his life for us, but he didn't stay dead. He came up again. He rose again, and he's alive to bring us into the reality and lead us into the reality of that fullness of life. And so Luke writes, um, in this chapter, repent and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And so the key to fullness of life and to, f to refreshing is, is simply repentance and turning to God and realizing that he is the risen Jesus, that he is alive, that he is near to every single one of us. He is near to you, whatever situation that you're facing. And interestingly, the lame beggar wasn't, wasn't actually looking at Peter and John. He's calling out. He's, kind of, he's aware of them and he calls out, but he's not really focused on them. And Peter says, look at us. And then it says, he then gave them his full attention. He then gave them his attention. And uh, very often I think um, we need to turn towards God because every one of us is born spiritually lame in life. Okay? We're, we're every one of us whoever we are, from birth. But God wants you to walk. God wants you to leap. God wants you to praise him. And there's, there's a metaphorical picture here to find our feet again. And so often we think God's not giving us attention, but actually it's us that are not giving him the attention. We're not latching our eyes on God. He's looking to latch eyes on you. He's wanting to catch your eye. Are you catching his eye in that? And so our, our message is the risen Jesus, and our lives are to follow the risen Jesus. And um, maybe the band could come up and uh, we'll pray together. Let's just quieten our hearts, uh, settle our, our souls before God this morning. Whether you're used to prayer or not, um, just hear some, some words that we can focus on. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your name. It has lost none of its power. It is still transforming men, women, and children's lives across the world, across our city, as it always has. Spiritually, 
sometimes physically even. We bring our lives before you now. Where we need healing of our bodies, we bring our request before you now. Heal us in Jesus' name. You may have a specific uh, request there. You may have a specific ailment or concern or fear of health. Just name that and bring that before Jesus quietly now. Lord, we pray that you would release your healing power now to those asking you. We pray you would release your sustaining strength to all. Break the power of disease in our bodies. Break the power of the fear that comes with it. Stop it in its tracks, in Jesus' name we pray. And restore physical health to our beings and to our bodies. Lord, where we need healing in our spiritual lives, we confess and we repent of our failings. We turn them over to you, Lord, and we give ourselves to you as author, pioneer, and leader of life itself. In Jesus' name.